You are listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. For more information about Journey, please check out our website at journeychristian.com. We are a community of fully devoted disciples of Jesus who reach out to love our neighbors, serve the hurting, and develop leaders for ministry. It's a good day to have a good day, amen? Hey, if this is your first time with us or you're newer, just honored that you're here. My name is Dustin Agard, one of the pastors. And on behalf of our church, we are, we are so grateful that you're here. Our prayer, we've already prayed over you. Our prayer is that God would do something fresh and new in each and every one of us. We wanna welcome everybody joining us online as well as Lake County as we are in week two of this series called Peaks. In valleys, and really got this idea as I read a book last year um, by a pastor up in Jacksonville by the name of Joby Martin. And the book is called "If the Tomb Is Empty, Anything's Possible." And I loved the the outline, and I was inspired by that. And so, really, what we're doing is we're looking at seven different mountains in the Bible, and we're talking about the significant impact that these encounters with God had on the mountaintop. Now, what we understand in life is that in uh, mountains and mountaintop experiences, we all know that at some point we're all gonna have mountaintop experiences, but not only that, we're also gonna navigate through some valleys and hike through some hills. And what this series is, it's aimed at how do we navigate all three of those in the most God-honoring way. And so last week we talked about Mount Moriah and Abraham and Isaac. And this week we're going to talk about Mount Sinai with a guy named Moses. But before we dive into that, several years ago, I did a survey. I surveyed over 300 Christian teenagers with really one question. I was, I was trying to get to the bottom of something. And so it was over 300 Christian teenagers. And I asked them this one question, if anything was to be tempted to take the number one spot in your life over God, what would that thing be? Okay, so if anything were to take the place of God, just more valued, more importance, more priority, what would that thing be? And here are the results. The number five answer, the fifth answer in that was sleep at 10%. That's no surprise, teenagers, right? Some of y'all get it, you're doing it right now. It's all good, I love it. I just started the sermon. You're already out. Okay. <laughs> Number four, sports. Sports. Playing sports. This is high school, so mostly focused on playing them probably. Number three, relationships and friends. 15%. I thought that would have been number one, but that was three. This one might surprise you. School and future. School and future. Some of y'all are like, not my kid. I get it. I get it. I hear you. <laughs> and number one, phone. Phone. And as I took the survey, and, and you can leave that up for a second, as I took that survey, um, it's easy for us adults to be like, you little punk teenagers, like just get your life in order, you know, shame on them. But as I took the survey, I, I began to get convicted and I began to ask the question. And as I looked at their answers, I thought their answers aren't very far from what some of mine would be. And I began to ask the question and wrestle with the question, what are the top three, four or five things that compete in my life with God being my top priority? And I'm not saying, and these students are not saying they put this over God, they're saying this is how that would look 
if something did take place of God. And none of us say that we worship this as opposed to God. We don't say that because that's too real and too raw. But the truth is when we prioritize something over God, that's what we worship. So let me ask you, what is it you are tempted to prioritize over God? The Bible calls that an idol. So what is it that we are tempted? What is it you personally are tempted to make an idol to put at the top of your priority list and God a little bit lower? And here's the deal. If you say, I don't have any, you're just fooling yourself. It's, it's all of us have something. The goal isn't to say, I don't have something. The goal is to say, I know how I would be tempted and I could see it coming a mile away. But if you don't know what it is, it can sneak up behind you. So let's name it and let's look out for it and let's play offense, not defense, amen? So that's kind of where the backdrop of where we're going today is. And we're gonna be in a a book of the Bible called Exodus and specifically Exodus 32. If you're using one of the church Bibles, it's on page 75. And last week we talked about Mount Moriah and Abraham and Isaac. That was in the book of Genesis. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And when you go from one book of the Bible to the next, really what you just did is you just went through 400 years of history. So from Genesis to Exodus, you had 400 years, and it's very important 400 years, and really the backdrop is the Israelites, God's chosen people, have been enslaved for 400 years. Think think about it, longer than the United States has existed. Generation after generation after generation of slavery. And then God does something kind of similar to what he did with Abraham last week. He just randomly, I don't want to say randomly, I'm sure, but he chose Abraham. And this week what he does is he chooses Mo. I call him Mo. I think he calls him Mo. His full name's Moses. But I think, I think God's like, hey, that's my dog. That's my boy. That's Mo. Okay? I pick you, Mo. So he picks, he picks Moses. And, and here's the thing. Just like God picked Abraham, just like God picked Mo, for a certain reason, God picks you. You need to know that, God picks you. And it's a different reason. Every single person has a different purpose, but God looks at you and says, I choose you. That's that's my boy, that's my girl. I got a plan, I got a purpose, I choose you. And God chose Moses to be the person to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And as he did this, he did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle in and through Moses. So much so that it would be impossible for the Israelites to miss the miraculous hand of God on them as a people group, okay? So it's important for us to understand a little bit of the backdrop. And here's some of the miracles that that we we see through uh, Moses' life. One, some of you, if you have a little bit of history with the Bible or of Moses, you know that a lot of the depictions of Moses is, is him holding this rod or this staff. And at one point, God says, hey, take your rod and throw it on the ground. And it turns into a snake, which is pretty freaky. And then God says, hey, go ahead and pick up the snake. And as he picks up the snake, it turns back into his rod, turns back into his staff. Just a miraculous sign uh, for that situation that he was proven. Then he sends the 10 plagues to get Pharaoh's attention to let the people go. And then he parts the Red Sea for all of each, every Israelite walkthrough. So imagine this aisle, just complete dry land. Everything is the sea. Every single person walked through that dry land, which means this, every Israelite experienced and saw firsthand a miracle of God. Every single one. 
God turned dirty water into clean drinking water. God provided bread from heaven called manna. He provided quail for them to eat. God provided water from a rock. And it goes on and on and on. And when you hear all this, you're like, man, this, this, these people must be the most faith-filled people ever to live. They've seen miracle after miracle. And when I think about all the things God's done in my life, I'm almost ashamed to tell you all the ways God has been faithful in my life. Because if you knew, you'd be like, man, that must be the most faithful person ever. God's done this, this, and this. And just like the Israelites, just like me, and maybe just like you, as much as God has showed up, I still doubt him. Just as much as he showed up in my life, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if he's going to come through. I don't know if he's got this. I don't know. And I am tempted to doubt him. And when I am tempted to doubt him, I end up trying to solve things in my own way. And I don't know if that's like you or not, but it's definitely like the Israelites. And I look back at my life and how God brought me from cancer years ago. And I'm thinking, God, you're so good. You're so kind. You're so faithful. I look at how God brought me to journey not just to journey, but then God has brought me to this point at journey. And I think, God, you're so good, you're so kind. And I think we all have a story of God's kindness in our life. And that's what's leading up to Exodus 32. And there's this mountain called Mount Sinai. And Mount Sinai is this mountain that Moses uh, goes up and down seven or eight times, depending on how you read it. Different scholars uh, see different things. And so it's seven or eight times. And every time Moses goes up to the mountaintop, he has a significant encounter with God. Because here's how the framework will go. You have all the Israelites. And what God was doing is he was speaking directly to Moses. And then Moses would take the message to the people. He would take either the message or the miracle. And so Moses is doing this seven or eight times and he's going up and having this incredible encounter. As a matter of fact, this is where Moses gets the 10 commandments on top of Mount Sinai with, a, with a, an encounter with God. And, and this one encounter, he goes up there and he ends up being up there for 40 days, which is a little bit longer than the Israelites thought he would be gone. And this is where we pick up in Exodus 32 verse one. Says when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. There is so much to unpack here. Okay, listen. To First of all, make us gods. Listen, they were enslaved for 400 years. And God answered miracle after miracle and after miracle. And it only took him 40 days to forget everything God did. Think about that. It took him 40 days to forget about the faithfulness of our God. And so they said, make us our own gods. And then th listen to disrespect. As for this fellow Moses... Oh, you know, the guy that single-handedly led us out of slavery, that God is doing miracles. Yeah, as this fellow Moses, you know, we don't even know where he is. Yes, you do. He's on the mountain talking to God. You know exactly where he is. You're just being impatient. You, you can hear the disrespect going on, right? You can hear the impatience. You can hear the whining going on. And this is the point. How you and I wait for God matters. How you wait for God matters. Do you wait remembering his faithfulness? Do you wait remembering his kindness, his goodness? Or do you wait impatiently? And it only takes you 40 days to forget about the previous 40 years of miracles. It takes you 40 days to forget about 
all the things God has done in his kindness in you and your family and your business and your health. You see, we get this spiritual amnesia when we feel like we're waiting on God because God provided this incredible miracle. We loved it, but now we think he's our genie in a bottle. And if he doesn't come right when I shake the bottle, right when I rub the bottle, then I'm just gonna go make my own genie. I'm gonna go do my own thing. This reminds me of a time when I was in college with my childhood best friend, his name is Spanky. And I love saying that because right now he's a college professor he has his doctorate and he, re, he will not let me call him Spanky in front of people. So I just say Spank, 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 Spanky, okay? <laughs> and listen, if this is you, I wholeheartedly apologize. He and I went to school at Flagler College in St. Augustine and we rented a, a house downtown that was one of these beautiful historical homes. And if it was yours, I am so so sorry, but you should never have rented to us. Okay, that's on you. That is so on you. So I went to class one afternoon. We didn't have an appointment after class. He just, uh, he's just used to me coming home at a certain time. And I, I must've got caught chatting. I don't know. I was just, I didn't come home at the regular time. Uh, eventually come home and, and I come home, he's in the living room. He's just like, Speechless, he's not even saying anything. He's like, he only said one phrase and he said, what did you do? That was all he said. I walk in, what did you do? And I'm like, I'm not even confused. So I just walk by him. I go to the kitchen to get a snack and there's a, a massive mess in the kitchen. Debris, everything. And in the center of the mess, there is a hole in the kitchen floor. So then I repeated what he said to me. What did you do? And he said, it's your fault. Where were you? I've been waiting on you. How, what? How is that my fault? He goes, well, I got tired of waiting, so I got bored. Okay, so what happened when you got bored? Well, I, I just started playing with matches. Okay, keep going. It was awesome. He like, I guess he, he, he just discovered that day he was a pyro. He's like, it was awesome. I loved it, so I kept doing more. I kept burning more and more stuff, and it, I just, one thing led to another, and I'm loving it, and then it got out of hand, it got so big, I didn't know how to put it out, and I was more amazed, so I just watched it burn a hole in our kitchen floor. And he's blaming me. And it reminds me of the Israelites, like in this waiting, they're like, they're like, what do you do? They're blaming other people, and what we do in our waiting matters to God. How you and I wait on God matters. And in their waiting, they said, we want another God. Not only do we want another God, they said, make us a God. This sermon is sponsored by Plato. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. You've not given us a dime for this. If you want to be a sponsor, Plato, send us some cash, okay? So here's what, here's what goes on, okay? I did this in front of my wife, and my wife uh, is so embarrassed of me because she is an artist, and I am not, okay? So I don't need to tell you what this is because it's so clearly obvious what this is, okay? So what we have here, okay, I'm just gonna let it just kind of build up, okay? 
Okay, so we have, oh yeah, right here, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. So Aaron, who by the way is the older brother of Moses, they tell Aaron, hey Aaron, you need to make us a God. Aaron is the person that is the substitute teacher. That is a way, and Aaron is mom. And the Israelites are like, hey, we're gonna take our chance. Okay, we're, we're gonna take our chance because we know dad would never say yes to this, so let's get Aaron. And so this is what they tell Aaron. Aaron said, take your gold rings from your ears, your wives, your sons and daughters, bring them to me. All the people took their gold rings from their ears, brought them to Aaron, and then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. Now you're getting the picture, okay? But it's not, it's not done yet, people, because obviously, you know, there's not a head, so of course it's silly, but I'm getting there. Say, okay, right there? Yeah, okay. Okay, and then we got, you know, we got the tail, okay? So that's clearly a golden calf. If you don't see it, that's not on me, okay? That's on you, yeah. Yeah, this is, um, this is gonna be auctioned after the service, starting bids, 10 grand. Uh, that's what they do with art, you know, they just, just. So here's the deal. Aaron's like, hey, give me your gold from your kids, from, from, from all of you, give me your gold. I'm gonna melt it and I'm gonna make, right in front of you, I'm gonna make this statue that they call a God, but you clearly saw me make it. It's not a God. Like I literally just made it. And what they're saying is this, we're gonna have a night of worship coming up soon, but not like the last night of worship. Last night of worship, we all gathered and we worshiped God and it was incredible. Instead of that night of worship, we're gonna all gather and we're gonna put this thing in the center and we're gonna worship the thing that I just created. We want to now worship, instead of worshiping the God that's created everything in the past and faithfulness and the miracles, the God that did so much in 2023 at Journey, so much in your marriage, so much in your finances, in your, instead of worshiping that faithful God. <laughs> listen. Listen, listen. You get, I'm gonna come back here. It was just, it was just, it was just an illustration. I was gonna keep explaining it. You caught me. I wish I could do that every service. I really do. That was. So what they were saying, not me, what they were saying in your holy scripture was we're gonna worship this man-made thing. And it only took them 40 days to forget their God, 40 days. Sometimes it only takes us 40 minutes. And what God is saying is remember the faithfulness Remember the miracles, remember the heart of God. And anything that your hands makes is a lousy God. It's not even a lousy God, it's a fake God. It's such a bad God, the heads won't even stay on. <laughs> like at all. That's how bad of a God it is. And then in verse four, Aaron makes it and says, this is the God that brought us out of slavery. 
Think about the illogic of this statement. We were in slavery 400 years, we're now out of it. This thing I just created, this thing right before your eyes, this thing made it literally, it's just Plato brought us out of slavery. You're like, what? What are, you, like, what are you talking about? Like, that's how crazy this whole scene is. That's why I wanted to do this, even though it's silly. That's exactly what they did. They, in front of them, made this thing, and they said, we now want to worship. Why did they want to do that? Because all their surrounding countries, all the other people around them, that's what they did. And they said, we don't want to be like God's chosen people anymore. We want to be like them. And when you start chasing evil people and their practices, instead of honoring what God has called you, you are in for danger. And I understand your neighbor has a bigger boat because he isn't as generous as you. I understand that your friends might be getting this, this, and this because they don't practice the same character as you. But I'm telling you, when you start dishonoring God, heads are going to roll, okay? (laughs) I'm just telling you. You see, Aaron was dealing with a bunch of murmuring. The Israelites were murmuring. The the teacher was gone and the substitute is here and they're like, man, we're gonna murmur him until he does what we want. And Aaron had to make a decision. Do I listen and honor God or do I try to please and appease people? And the decision is very similar to you and I have. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You ever been there? Maybe you are in a relationship or are in a relationship and you know that God is calling your relationship to this God honoring thing and the other person's taking you to a God dishonoring thing and you gotta make a decision. Do you honor God or people? Because you can't do both. I got to see this play out firsthand recently and my family, my wife uh, is a full-time teacher and so she works and does most of our cooking throughout the week. And when I say most, I mean all of the cooking. And, um, and so we kind of came up with a thing years ago that works in our family, it's called No Cook Friday. And really what that means is every Friday, uh, she doesn't cook, either I cook or we eat out, which means every Friday we eat out. And, <laughs> and so we, we eat out and a lot of times we, we like Chinese, so we'll order Chinese from uh, our favorite Chinese place, which is called Imperial Dynasty, which is uh, over right off I-4 in Longwood area. And so we'll order that, we like it. And um, so a couple weeks ago, we ordered on a Friday night, we ordered it and we noticed that something was off. After our normal time of waiting, the food didn't come. And then we waited a little bit longer and it didn't come. And then it took an hour and 45 minutes for the food to come. An hour and 45 minutes. Food finally comes and we're unpacking it all and we realize that uh, we're missing our rice. And so we just call, we call the, the store and we're thinking the guy's still in the neighborhood. He probably has it in the car and just maybe we can get a hold of him and just do a U-turn and bring it. And, um, and instead of that, the owner decides to deliver the rice herself. And I thought, okay, well, that's interesting. And the owner showed up because the owner wanted to personally apologize for everything that had happened that night. And, as, and I have a ring camera and a video, and it recorded this entire interaction. The person knocked on the door and is kind of looking down a little bit and starts apologizing, saying, I'm so sorry. 
And in the middle of her apology, she looks up and goes and stops talking and she goes, Pastor Dustin? <laughs> and then she took a step and, Pastor Dustin? And after the second Pastor Dustin, she just broke down and wept in my arms. I mean, wept. And what I remembered in that moment was the people that work at restaurants are people too. And after she's just flooded with tears, my wife's able to come out and we're able to pray and have a sweet moment. And she just unpacks what's going on. I said, what's going on? She just felt broken. And she was so, she, she wanted to personally go to every bad order, late order, and a personally apologize as the owner and say she was so sorry. And so this is after a long night of doing that. She was just exhausted. I said, talk to me, what's going on? She said, well, my head cook, the one that was here, he just unexpectedly quit. I said, and she un unpacked why. And she said, he wanted me to pay him cash under the table so that he could avoid taxes and other reasons. And she said, I just didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. It wasn't honoring to God. And in that moment, Vera had to make a decision. Does she honor God or does she please people? And she chose to honor God and the detriment of her business. It cost her business a reputation. It cost her business money. It cost her business time. And she's just weeping, telling us this. And I was like, thank you so much for telling me that. It, I used to like Imperial Dynasty. Now I love it. When I know that somebody that is a believer that goes to journey owns it. And when not just that, that they want to run it in a God honoring way. And not only that, they want to personally come instead of hiding behind their mistakes, take responsibility because every restaurant, every business, every person makes mistakes, but not everybody takes responsibility. That's a business I want to give my money to. Amen. Amen. And so we were praying and talking and she ends up, just a little side part of the story, she ends up saying she also owns this soap business and like literally an hour later she comes and, and hands me a bag of all these really nice soaps and I'm not sure what to do with that. Like when somebody gives you soap, what is the message? Like what message? Like, hey, Pastor Dustin, we, I was really close to you, we were hugging and I re it hit me, you need soap. Like that. Like that was the first thing that came to my head. So here, don't take it all. You don't have to pay, take it, use it. Here's what, in reflection to, the, to what they made, I'll say this, the golden calf they made was spiritually lifeless and that's exactly how they became as well. So the question is, where did they get their gold? These are a bunch of slaves. Where'd they get their gold? Well, here's the deal. When God brought them out of slavery, he also gave them some provision. God is the one that provided the gold that they in turn turned into an idol. Listen, this is so important. Are you catching this? They took the blessings of God and turned the blessings of God into an idol. And it's really easy to look at in scripture, but I think you and I can do the same thing. God has made some of you so brilliant academically. And you are taking, you have temptation to take 
the blessing of God with a sharp mind and you could accidentally turn that into an idol. Some of you, God has created with great creativity or leadership. And instead of receiving that as a blessing, you now have made creativity and art and, or leadership or your business. That has become your idol. Some of you are so gifted uh, in health or in sports that instead of seeing that as a blessing, now health and sports has become your idol. Some of you are so gifted with business and finances that that is a blessing God's given you. But instead of receiving as a blessing, you are now turning your business into an idol. And God says, be careful that you don't turn my blessings into an idol. It reminds me of Linus. You see, at one point, Linus was given a blanket. The blanket was a gift. The blanket was a blessing. Like, there's nothing wrong with the blanket. That's a gift. That's a blessing. But once he started seeing his blanket as his security blanket... Once he started looking at his blanket as his identity, once he started seeing his blanket for hope, it was no longer a blessing, it was his God. It was no longer a blessing of a blanket, it became his idol. And so let me ask you, where do you look for hope? Where do you look for identity? Where do you look for security? If it's not in God, if something else is tempted, that is what is called an idol. And you may not bow down and worship it, but you worship it with our time. We worship with our time, our energy, our money, whatever it is. That's, those are forms of worship. I don't know what is most tempting for you, what idols you have in your life. For me, I remember when I was younger, I remember one of my idols was baseball and sports. And it's so like, it sounds so dumb. Like it sounds like this dumb. Like there was a time, I look at baseball and sports that like there was a time that I really would prioritize it over, over God on some level. And I'm like, what, what a foolish thing to do. But we don't see it when it's right here, do we? We only see it when we grow and mature and look back and we're like, ah. And so I want us to process what is the thing that might be tempted to be an idol right now in our life? So the question is that I would ask is how do we know if it's something we like or something we worship? And here's, here's the answer. Whatever you prioritize more than God is what you worship. Whatever you prioritize more than God is what we worship. That's what an idol is. That's, an idol is something that we have placed a greater priority in our life than God. This is what Matthew 6, says. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, when we make God the first thing, we still get everything else. You see, with God, he doesn't wanna be a part of your life. He's all or nothing. He's not a side item. He's the main entree. And he, he says, I demand to be first. And when you put me first, I'll take care of the rest because there's a trust factor in making him first. Psalm 16, four says, those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. You see, this idea of not having idols, it's not just for God, it's we are the ones that suffer. Like, can you imagine if they kept putting their hope in this fake thing? Like, there would be no more miracles. It's not like that just it affects God, it affects them. It affects you and me. And because God cares about you and me, he's like, no, 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 that's a waste of time, that's a waste of energy, that's a waste of space. It's not gonna bless you, it's not gonna love you the way I can. I love what Tim Keller said. He said, idols give us a sense of being and control. And we can locate them by looking at our nightmares. What do you fear the most? We make sacrifices to appease and please our gods 
who we believe will protect us. And when you and I end up making idols, we want to like downplay them as much as we can. No, 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 no. It's, listen, it's baseball. You don't understand. I pray before every game, like, which is what I did. Like I pray before every game. Like, you don't, you don't understand. I do this, this, this. We begin to make excuses and we try to soften it. And there's nothing bad with sports. There's nothing bad. I'm just saying in my personal life, I at some times prioritize it a little bit higher. And this is what is Exodus 32, 24 says. It says, they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Are you listening to this? Moses is like, Aaron, what happened? And Aaron's like, bro, calm down. I didn't do this. Like, listen, I did not do this. Listen, you're never gonna believe this. They gave me the gold, I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I have no idea. It was a miracle. Like, that's, like, literally, that's what he's saying. How crazy is that? Like, we begin to make excuses for all the idols in our life. Like, listen, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. It just, it just happened. And then keep going. Verse 7, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down. <laughs> I love this too. Because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt, have become corrupt. Now, God himself is doing this mom and dad thing. He's like, hey, Moses, your kids, your kids, not, not our kids. Hey, your kids are acting up. You need to, they're being foolish. Go get them. You see, he says, your people whom you brought up. Well, God, they're God's people. He brought them up. But now that they're acting a fool, he's like, no, they're your people. I love that about God. God's like, hey, this is, these are our people. And then, then we get a little bit crazy. He's like, yo, those are your people. Like, hey, go get them. He said, go down and get them out of Egypt because they have been corrupt. You see, they had forgotten who rescued them. Let me ask you, have you forgotten who has rescued you? Have you forgotten the God that has redeemed you? The God that gave his one and only son for you? The God that loves you so much, he wants to have a relationship with you forever, so he gave the ultimate sacrifice. Have you forgotten that? And, and I, I would say a lot of us are tempted, including myself, to forget almost weekly, which is why we do communion, which is why we do the Lord's Supper, because we do drift. We have vision drift. We forget the glory of his love. And what we wanna do every week is slow down and do communion to remember that we've been rescued and redeemed. It keeps going, verse nine and 10. He says, I've seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I might destroy, and I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. So you have the Israelites. It's really important what's happening here. You have the Israelites here. God is, is not upset with Moses. He's upset with them and he separates them. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm disappointed in them. I'm frustrated. I'm going to destroy them, but I'm still going to make you into a great nation. Listen, listen, I'm gonna wipe them out, but you're gonna be good. And I, I want you to hear Moses' response because when you hear this, you might be thinking, man, this is great, but Moses is a spiritual leader and he does what great spiritual leaders do. This is what he says, but Moses sought the favor of the Lord, the Lord his God. He said, Lord, why should your anger burn against your people? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants. You see, God is promising him to be a great nation. He says, that's not enough. You know what spiritual leaders do, even if they don't have idols? 
They care for other people. They intercede for other people. They pray for other people. Let me ask you this question. What if God answered every prayer you've ever prayed for other people? Think about that. What, what would your life look like? What, are, what would our community look like if God answered every prayer you prayed that was for someone else? And that's what Moses is doing. This is, the, this is the goal of a spiritual leader. This is the goal of Christians, that we intercede on behalf of others while we might be in a good spot, while life is good for us, we're on a mountaintop. We intercede for those in the valley. We don't judge them, we don't, we don't trash them. We take their, in, we intercede on behalf of God and say, God, would you please, we don't separate God, this is us. Well, this is Central Florida, we have sinned. Would you come and forgive us? Would you forgive our people? And we take our needs before God. And we, we, we lock arms and say, no, 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 it's not us and them, we're one. And I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna fight before God for every single one of you. And then verse 14, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had created, that he had threatened. I love that. So maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I have an idol. I'm kind of on the, the mountaintop. That's great, praise God, that's awesome. Then I would encourage you to pray for those that might be walking through hills and valleys right now that might be tempted with idols. Or maybe you're here and if you're honest, you're thinking like, hey man, that might be me. I, I sometimes am tempted to put other things or other people before God. Praise God, I think what we have to do is we have to name it, then we have to repent. And then we have to put God in his rightful place, which is number one. Here's what I love about God. God does not reject humility. He doesn't, he rejects arrogance, but not humility. And so when we come before him and say, God, I am so sorry, I put this above you. Would you please forgive me? He says, absolutely. The scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive you every single time. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much. God, when I read this story, when I hear this story, I'm so tempted in this story to make myself out as if I am Moses, as if I'm the spiritual leader. But in, in all honesty, you know me. I, I too often relate to Aaron and the Israelites more than Moses. I, I too often stumble and forget and I could be a spiritual knucklehead. And I think maybe some of us here today, we would say we agree that sometimes we can relate too much with Aaron than with Moses. So God, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us that in our waiting that we made other things that we depended on, that we hoped in or put our identity in? And would we get back to trusting you with all we are and all we have? God, you're number one in our hearts. You're number one at Journey. Our prayers should be number one in Central Florida, in the United States, and in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast from Journey Christian Church. If this message was a blessing to you, be sure to click the follow button and share it with your family and friends. For more information about Journey Christian Church, please go to journeychristian.com.